Good evening, ladies. How's everybody doing tonight? Y'all doing okay? We are glad that you are here. We've got a real treat tonight. We've got Nika teaching tonight, and it's going to be awesome. So before she gets started, let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are the Lord God Almighty, and you keep your promises, and you are active and involved in our lives, and we are grateful for that. I pray that you would speak through Nika the truth that you want us to learn. I pray that you would soften our hearts and open our ears to hear exactly what it is you want for us personally. I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would powerfully just translate and help us to really walk away and be transformed by your word. Thank you, Lord, for loving us and for drawing us to yourself. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Gigi. Check, check, check. Can y'all hear me? Not yet. What about now? Yeah? More? Less volume? More? More? Or more volume? Okay. I'll just get really loud. How's that? All right. For those of you at home who are going to listen to this on audio, so sorry for that outburst. Uh, you guys, my name is Nika Spalding. Like she says, I have the pleasure of being one of the uh, team members here at Watermark on the equipping team. And there's a couple of things that you need to know about me, and you'll learn them over the years. One, I'm a diehard Sooner fan, Boomer Sooner. That's right. Any Longhorns in the room? Guys, I'm, I, I have to tell you, it's a bad season when a Sooner even has empathy for you. Better days will come, I promise you. Uh, I only know that because I'm a Sooner fan, and no matter how hard we try to keep the Longhorns down, they just don't stay down, so you'll move on. Uh, The other thing you should know about me is I love my cat, I love my niece and nephew, and I hate change. I I just hate change. I have my whole life. In fact, my friends always joke that I'm the one that's changed the least from junior high and high school, and that's not really a good thing. You hope people grow and mature, but like my favorite colors never change. My favorite numbers never change. Um, In fact, if you see this picture up here, if you ever open a drawer of silverware, it is beyond my understanding how in 2015 we still have two different sizes of forks and spoons. That's just excessive. We don't live in the Victorian era, and I promise you, if you set the table for me and you put down the big fork and the big spoon, I will change them out. I have gone to people's houses who I don't know, and I've gone back in their cutlery drawer and pulled out the small fork and the small spoon, because that's what you're supposed to use. I don't actually know what the rules are, but that's just how I am. Been that way my whole life. The other thing is, you guys know these tacos? You know where they're from? Me Casino, that's right. The brisket tacos. If y'all haven't been, you don't live in Texas. So, Me Casino, the brisket tacos. If you go to a restaurant with me and we eat there more than once, there's a 99% chance you'll be able to order for me the next time. I always order the same thing everywhere I go. Brisket tacos, no cheese, corn tortilla, extra side of guacamole. That's my order. That's it. Every time. Uh, in fact, I was actually at a restaurant that will be nameless, and they changed their menu, and when they did that, they changed the item that I got. They took it off the menu. I'm not kidding. I walked out, and I've never been back to that restaurant. So I tell you all that to tell you that's part of one of the things I love about God is that God does not change. Now hear me say this. I don't think my neurotic non-changingness is anything like God's non-changingness, but it does explain to you why I like the fact that God doesn't change. And so by the end of today's lesson, hopefully I will convince you that because God doesn't change, this is a really good thing. 
and that because God doesn't change, he's the one thing that we anchor our lives into because your circumstances, your feelings, your doubt, everything in life can and will change except for God and his promises. And so hopefully by the end of today, you'll see, even though Moses changed, God never did. And so let's just jump right into the story. We're going to look at Moses today and how Moses is playing out in the story. And so if you remember from last week, Gigi talked about the call and the commission of Moses. And so Moses is heading back to Egypt and he's supposed to tell the Egyptian or the Israelite leaders about what God has said. And then he's supposed to go to Pharaoh. And so at the end of chapter four, he goes to the Israelite leaders and he says, hey, God has heard your cry and he's going to answer your cry. And what do they do? They bow down and they worship God. Are y'all, am I getting feedback into this? No? We're good? Okay. You're looking at me like I'm beatboxing or something. So they, they, were, they bow down and worship God. It's an incredible moment. They haven't heard from God in 400 years. And Moses comes before them and he says, God, God, Yahweh has heard your cries. And they're worshiping. So you can imagine Moses is having a really good moment because he's been gone. He was a murderer when he left. He's been gone all these years. He's coming back in. He doesn't know he's going to be received. He tells them what God said. And they say, great, we're in. And so then Moses is now supposed to come before Pharaoh. And what we learn about Moses is that when Moses comes before Pharaoh, Moses is brash. We know that, and it's pretty subtle in the text, but we know that because in verse 318, we see how Moses is supposed to come to Pharaoh. And then in chapter five, we see how Moses comes to Pharaoh. I'm going to point out a couple of differences in the text that aren't really huge when you first look at it, but over time you begin to realize what Moses had done. And so the first one is this, is that Moses and the elders along with Aaron are supposed to go before Pharaoh. And yet we read the text and we see that only Moses and Aaron go. Why? I don't know. I don't know why Moses doesn't fully obey. Maybe it's because he's worried about speaking in front of the, the leaders. Maybe he's just not paying enough attention to God. Maybe he's just lazy about full obedience, but he doesn't fully obey the command. And then when he comes before Pharaoh, it doesn't seem like a big deal, but he changes the word of God. In 3.18, God says, hey, you tell Pharaoh that the God of Hebrews says this, and Moses changes it to the God of Israel. And that might seem like a small thing to you, but anytime in scripture we see somebody beginning to change the words of God, it does not go well for them. We saw it in the Garden of Eden. God comes to Eve and he says, you may eat of any tree, but do not eat of this tree. And then the serpent comes to Eve and says, hey, what did God say to you? And she says, I cannot touch the tree. That's not what God said. God said, don't eat of it. You can hang your hammock in it. You can carve your name in it, Adam and Eve forever. You can do whatever you want to this tree. Just don't eat of this tree. And when you begin changing the words of God, you begin removing yourself from God because God's word is God's revelation of himself. When you change his word, you no longer see him clearly. And we see Moses doing that here. He goes on and Moses is supposed to use a cohortative verb, which is just a fancy word for please. Moses is supposed to request from Pharaoh, hey, let us go. And Moses changes it to a command, send us away. Moses uses an imperative in the text. And so if you're a Hebrew reader and you're reading this along in your Hebrew Bible, you're gonna catch that nuance. Yeah, Moses is being brash. God tells him in 3.18, use the word please. This na particle, which means please in the Hebrew, and Moses leaves it out. God commands Moses to be diplomatic. He commands him to be courteous. And Moses instead is rude and abrasive before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh responds. He's like, Yahweh, who is Yahweh? I don't know this Yahweh. In fact, you guys are a bunch of slackers. And that's how the net translates it. I like it. Some of the verses you guys have maybe idle workers or lazy people, but the net just calls them slackers, which I was like, that's, that's a 2015 word, right? Bunch of lazy Israelites. And he says, no more straw for you. 
you go get your own straw and the same quota of bricks. And there are actual Psalms that say it is very difficult to chase chaff in the wind. The task that Pharaoh has put upon them is now impossible for them to meet. Now, don't hear me say that I think if Moses would have followed exactly what God had told him, that the result would have been any different. I'm not implying that. In fact, the result might've been the exact same. The point in this story isn't how Pharaoh responds. The point of this is that Moses does not fully obey God's command. And that does not go well, ever. And I think we do that, right? This is a chance for Moses to fully obey God. And instead of being diplomatic and courteous, Moses is brash for reasons we'll never understand. I don't know if he just kind of got like a little pep in his step. And he's like, yeah, when I told the Israelites, they bowed down to worship. So maybe Pharaoh will too. And Pharaoh's like, no. But we do that, right? Because I I know sometimes people go, hey, I know the Bible says that I'm supposed to honor my husband, but I'm only going to honor him if he's not being a butthead. Because that's what Ephesians says, right? Honor your husband when he's not being a jerk. No, what does it say? Honor your husband, right? Or or it says, hey, you're supposed to look on whatever is noble and pure and good, but God hasn't seen Game of Thrones. So I'll obey that except on that night. Right? We do that. We do this partial obedience thing with God. Hey, God, I know I'm supposed to be forgiving, but you don't know what that person did. I know I'm supposed to tell the truth, but in this situation, if I were to really tell the truth, I just cannot bring that much guilt and shame upon myself. Right? And, we, and we see what partial obedience does throughout the word. It does not go well with people. And we do that. We take God's words and we manipulate and we take God's words and we only take them serious at about 99%. We leave that last 1% out. And that last 1%, I promise you, is just as important as the 99. And so my question today is, what is that 1%, that 2% that Moses took a lot of courage to come before Pharaoh? He did. I don't want to make light of what Moses did, but he didn't fully obey God. And I think that's something that we have to take into consideration in our lives. So what's that thing that that you kind of rub up against? What's that thing that when God says obey, that you're like, oh, I know I'm supposed to to date a guy who's equally yoked with me, but this one's really cute, right? Or I know I'm supposed to honor my mother and my father, but they're not good parents. Is that what the Bible says? No. So we've got to obey. One of the things that's interesting, and this is just a side note from tonight, is that there's this movement in scholarship to tell you that the Exodus never happened. That, in fact, most of the Old Testament never happened. These are just made up fantastic stories for Christians to believe in. And this is just one picture. This is one shred of evidence that I have. And this is from the tomb of Rechmeyer. It would have been from the 18th dynasty in Thutmose III. And this is evidence. These are Semitic people making, guess what? Bricks. Yeah. There is a load of evidence that says the Exodus happened. And if you're in that camp where you're being told or you watch the History Channel and you're not quite sure, email me. I would love to give you more information. There is great reason to have confidence in the word of God. I believe part of why God gives us dates and times and facts is so that we can check it against history. And so I believe as as we continue to find more archaeological evidence, we will continue to find that this story is real. And if it's real, then it's worth following. Okay, and so if you're just in that camp and you're not sure, or quite frankly, you're just curious because you're a nerd like me, email me. That wasn't meant to be offensive. Nerds are like cool now. I don't know if y'all caught that. Yeah, there we go. We've finally had our day. So Moses starts out, Moses is brash. And after Moses is brash, what comes is Moses gets bruised. You can imagine Moses has been gone all this time. He's come to the Israelite leaders and he said, "Um, hey, I'm going to tell you this great story that there's this guy Yahweh and he's going to rescue and he's going to redeem you. And then what happens is, and Pharaoh goes, "Uh, no more straw for you. And so the Israelite leaders are mad. 
And they say, okay, we're just going to go to Pharaoh. And they go to Pharaoh and they go, Pharaoh, this is impossible. Your people, the Egyptians, aren't giving us the straw. How are we supposed to complete our tasks? We're the ones getting beaten. Apparently there's some sort of level of system where there's Israelite slaves and then above them there's Israelite foremen. And guess who's getting beaten? The Israelite foremen. And they come to Pharaoh and they go, look, we cannot do what you're asking us to do. This is an impossible task. You're putting a yoke on us that we cannot possibly carry. And what does Pharaoh say? Get out of my face, you slackers. And so they walk out and they see Moses and Aaron. You can imagine Moses and Aaron are like, how'd it go? And they say, hey, may God deal harshly with you. You've made us a nasty aroma before Pharaoh. Your big mouth got us into this trouble. Couldn't you have just said, please? You can imagine, I'd be like, couldn't you have just, I mean, maybe it would have gone better for us. So Moses gets bruised in this. It's really interesting that what happens here though is the Israelite foremen don't turn their back on God. In fact, they turn their back on Moses. They don't say, we don't believe that Yahweh's in this. We just believe you weren't doing Yahweh's job. This is what it's like to be a leader. If you are Moses in this moment and you're getting bruised like this, that is what it means to be a leader. A leader is also known as, if you look in a, at the source, punching bag is next to it, right? It means you're signing up to be misunderstood. It means you're signing up to be disagreed with. It means you're signing up to be uncomfortable. It means you're signing up for conflict resolution. It means you're signing up for difficulty. And so Moses, when he signed up to lead the Israelites out, I cannot imagine why he thought it would be easy. And so if God's calling you into leadership, make no mistake about it, it will be like this at times. And we always need leaders, so come on, we'd be happy to have you. No, it's a, it's a pleasure and a privilege to lead here, but that is what leadership is, that there are going to be times that the people doubt what you're being called to do. And so Moses gets bruised by that. But the foremen show us something that is common and it's always happened throughout history. And that is this, is that when people begin to follow God, they tend to believe this lie that life is then supposed to be comfortable. And this lie is being perpetuated even till today. The prosperity gospel is just as popular in America as it is in third world countries. It's beyond my comprehension how they could believe it because there is no prosperity to be had there. And they bought into the lie that when you follow God, God promises you to be comfortable. And I just don't see that in scripture anywhere. And not only do I not see that in scripture, I watched the news. A gunman walked onto a campus and singled out Christians. Christians. Are you a Christian? Yes, I am. Then you will be with your God. And you got to believe that those saints, those precious saints, that when the moment was on the line, that they stood for Christ. And when they got to heaven and they saw their savior face to face, he didn't sit there and go, guys, I'm so sorry. I fell asleep. I'm, I'm so sorry you got shot. That was never part of the plan. That's not what happened. He looked at his saints and he said, hey, remember, I told you the world was going to hate you because the world hates me. But guess what? Welcome to paradise. Be free. There are no gunmen behind closed doors. There are no tears. There is no heartache. There is no more pain. Run free among the rest of the saints. And you gotta believe that their family members that are still here, they're not hanging on to the words in the book of Matthew saying, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comfortable. That's not what it says. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. We are never promised comfortability. In fact, I can almost make the argument that the exact opposite is what's promised in his words. Romans 8 tells us that we are groaning like the rest of creation, eagerly awaiting that glorious day when it comes. If you think that this life, when you follow God, is about being comfortable, then you're going to run up against something that's difficult. And you're either, one, going to be mad at the person who lied to you, or worse, mad at the God who you misunderstood. Our God never promised that. And so if you're in the thick of hard times, 
He didn't lie to you. Somebody else might have, and shame on them. But God has promised you much, much greater things than anything this world has to offer. And some of them you may not see until you take your last breath. But trust me, they are far greater than anything this world can offer you. And so please don't buy into that lie that God promised you comfortability on this earth. It is just not true. Moses, in this moment, when he gets bruised, what he needs to do in this moment is remember verses 319. God already told Moses, it's going to be hard. He already told Moses, Pharaoh's not going to listen. And so Moses, when he, when he runs up against this brick wall that is Pharaoh and things get hard, what he needs to do is remember God's word. And that's the same thing that you need to do. We, we are told to take heart because this world will have troubles, but don't worry, there's one that has overcome this world. Right? When, when things get hard, what we need to do is unlike what Moses does in this moment, is we need to go back to the promises and God, oh yeah, this is what this life may be about for me. And I know it's hard because I know you can look at your neighbor and I know sometimes your neighbor looks like she's got it going easier than you, but stop looking at your neighbor. Stop looking at your neighbor. We see the same moment with the disciples when they go, what about John? Uh, you just said we were gonna drink of the cup. What about this guy? And, and Jesus says, don't worry about him. Don't, don't worry about what he's doing. Worry about yourself. And I'm promising you this life will be hard. But oh, the next one. The next one is so much greater. After Moses is bruised, Moses then becomes brazen. Oh, Moses is hot. And he comes to God and he uses these sequential why questions. Why did you even bring me here? What are you doing, God? As if God made a massive mistake. It's interesting though, we see throughout the Old Testament, there are times that people complain about God, but Moses has the audacity to complain to God. And I will encourage you to do the same. We see Job do it. Job's entire life is ruined. And what does he do? God, what are you doing? And God says, who are you to darken my counsel? Gird up your loins, son, because I'm about to teach you a lesson. And it happens to be a zoological one, so get ready. Right? And then David does it. Dad, how much longer will my enemies prosper? They're the bad guys. Are we losing this game? And then he ends it with, but, but, I will trust you. You're the guy. I'm following you. We see the same moment with Peter when Peter's following Jesus and Jesus looks behind him and goes, Peter, where's everybody behind us? And Peter goes, hey man, they've all left. And Jesus goes, where are you gonna go? And he's like, I don't know, you've got the words of life. I don't understand you. Quite frankly, you're a little bit bizarre in terms of social norms. You're a weirdo, Jesus. But you have eternal life, so I guess I'm behind you. And so Moses takes his complaint right to God. God, what are you doing here? And so you expect my next point to be that Moses is beaten, right? He goes, from, he goes from brash to bruised to brazen. You expect it to be that he's beaten, but that's not what happens, right? You expect when somebody approaches God who is perfect, you expect what they're gonna receive in return is just a backhand from like heaven. And that's not what happens. I'll tell you what happens and I'll tell it to you in a, in, a, in a real life scenario that happened this week as I was preparing to teach this message, I got this Instagram photo and this is my buddy, this is Nixon, my nephew. Um, and I, I love my buddy. And this is actually the first time I've seen that photo that I haven't teared up a little bit, so I'm, I'm growing. But I saw this first picture on the left here and, and I, know, I know my niece and nephew really well. I know them well, I love them, I love them. And this is his scared face. I've seen this face before. 
And he's scared. You know why? Because he jumped off of a chair and busted up his chin on a windowsill. What's really funny is he actually had done the same thing a week ago, but didn't break the skin. And so you're like, next in, buddy, stop jumping off of chairs. And so, but he's like the little monkey and he kept going. And so he's got this big gash on his chin. And you know what? Because my, my sister-in-law is a good mom. You know what she probably did? She probably got really close to him and said, hey, buddy, listen to me. Here's the plan. We've got to go to the hospital. And, and we've got to get stitches because that's how things are going to get better. And so Nixon has the opportunity to trust his mom. And his mom's a good mom. She would never sell him up the river. She didn't put him in a basket in the Nile. That didn't happen. I mean, I'm just kidding. That was a good thing that Moses' mom did. So, so Nixon has no reason to doubt his mom, right? She's, she's a good mom. She gives him fruit when he asks for it. She sneaks him Dr. Pepper when he's not supposed to have it, you know? All right, that's me. Never mind. Yeah, so they go to the hospital, and you can imagine Nixon comes in the room, and he's thinking, okay, okay, things are going to get better. Things are going to get better. And then what happens? A man in a white cone walks in with what? A big old needle. Uh, buddy, where does it hurt? Right here? Um, I'm going to stick a needle in there. Right? Nixon has this opportunity in this moment to just march off the table and go, Mom, I'm out. The plan you told me, not good. You said it was all going to get better. You didn't mention a needle. You didn't tell me it was going to hurt. I'm out of here. But that would be really incredible for a two and a half year old to say all that. And so instead, my my sister-in-law looks at him and she goes, buddy, it's time to be tough. That's what she says. It's tough. And I I know my little buddy. And so I know what he said. He said, Hulk smash. Because he loves, he's just obsessed with the Avengers. And so... So that's his tough face. And then he got his three stitches. And I promise you, I cried more than he did. I know I did. And then Nixon went home. And you know what? His chin's going to heal. He's going to be okay. He's going to be fine. But did things have to get worse before they got better? Yeah. And what did he have to do? He had to trust his mom. Because when a man walks in who you don't know with a needle in his hand, he's sticking you in your face in the place that hurts the most. You're going, uh, plan's not working. Unless your mom's right there and who you trust. And she goes, hey, it's going to be okay. It's going to be Okay. And that tenderness and that love and that compassion is exactly what we see God do with Moses here. He doesn't backhand Moses. Because you want to know what I would do if I'm God in this instance? Oh, Moses. Moses. Okay, buddy. Let me just make sure I get this straight. You walked in front of Pharaoh and you didn't even say, please. What, you forget your manners from your mama? Okay. And then, and then you continue to just like threaten him with what? Commands? And then, and then what, some Israelite men who believed in me for, I don't know, 15 minutes, Moses, begin to doubt and suddenly you are gonna darken my counsel with your doubt, with your brazen questions? Moses, get out of my face. That's why I'm not God. That's why you should never question me. I'm just kidding. But that's not what God does. That's not at all what God does. He reminds Moses of the plan. And he says, Moses, now you will see what I've already promised you in 319. You've forgotten the plan, Moses. Look at me, look at me. I am Yahweh and I will redeem these people. God's reminder to Moses is when he, he links who he is with what he does. And this is an important theological understanding for us to grasp. God is who he is and what he does cannot be separated. And so what do I mean by that? God not only loves you, he is love. God not only tells the truth, he is truth. God not only brings about light, he is the light. And so when God says, I am Yahweh, he's not just saying, I am the covenant keeper, God. He's saying, I will keep the covenants. He explains to Moses, hey, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the all-stars of your faith, you know who I was to them? I was El Shaddai. 
I was the mighty one. I was the mountain. You know who I'm going to be to you? Yahweh, the covenant keeper. Those guys, those rock stars, they lived as foreigners in Cana. Guess what you guys are gonna get to do? You're gonna get to own the land. I will redeem you. I will bring you into the land. I will give it to you. Moses, listen to me. The plan didn't change. It can't change because the plan emanates from who I am. I promised it to you, therefore I have to give it to you because I cannot violate my own character. It's really interesting what what Moses writes for us to understand is that when God uses the word, I will redeem you, there's a couple of words in the Old Testament for redeem in the Hebrew. In the New Testament, when you see the word redeem, you need to be thinking about the cross. That's what that means. What Jesus did on the cross when he paid for your sins. And he says, I redeem you. Redemption in the New Testament is a term that we take right out of a legal jargon where the, where the gavel is banged and you're innocent. That is what redeem means in the New Testament. The Old Testament you can mean a couple of different things. And we're gonna see those words throughout, throughout Exodus. One of them is the word pada. And that means to buy back what is not yours. And so, so later on, we're going to see that you need to buy back your firstborn. And so you're coming to God. They belong to God. You're paying God a price and God is relinquishing control back to you. You are paying for something that's not yours. A transaction is occurring. That is not the word redeem here. Instead, this word is got all, which means I am taking back what is rightfully mine. It's this word that says, hey, these people, they're not, they're not Pharaoh's slaves that I'm buying back to myself. No, they are my people. They've always been my people and they will always be my people. And I'm coming to get my people back. God is revealing to Moses, the plan never changed. They never stopped being my people. I didn't forget Genesis 15. Moses, I know you ran up against a little bit of trouble here, but I am coming back for my people. Do not doubt the plan, Moses. This same word that we see for redeemers, the same one we see in the book of Ruth. When, when Ruth and Naomi are out in, in Moab and, and everybody dies, all the men die. And so then they come back into the land and Boaz sees her and Boaz wants her and they call him the kinsman redeemer. He is claiming what is rightfully his. God in this word is communicating to Moses and to the rest of the Israelites, you're my people and nothing will change that. And so what is he telling Moses? He's telling Moses, Moses, look at me. I am their God and they are my people. Your circumstances will change. Your feelings will change. Everything around you might change. I will not change. You're gonna come up against hard time, Moses. Hey, Moses, by the way, Moses, like Pharaoh says no once, he's gonna say no again and again and again and again. And then guess what? You're going to get to the end of the Red River. I say that because OU Texas is this weekend. It was the Red Sea. And they're going to see him coming. And I'm not going to abandon you. And then you're going to go out into the wilderness. And you're going to be like, we don't have any food. And God's like, hello, the land. You're going to the land. You think I'm going to let you all starve to death out in here in the wilderness? I know I'm totally ruining everybody's teaching ahead of me. But the plan never changes. The plan never changes. And so we bet, we bet everything on the plan. And so this is what it means for you. What's the big so what for us? Is that in your life, things are gonna get hard. Some of you will get cancer. Some of you have cancer. And you have an option in that moment to come before God and say, what happened? I thought you were for me. And he's gonna look at you and go, child, daughter, the plan never changed. This is not outside of my control. I didn't fall asleep at the will. Things did not get out of hand. This is the plan. You want to know the plan? I love you. 
no matter what. And I have promised you riches and glory in the next life, not this one. But I promise you in the midst of your cancer, I will be there. I will comfort you. I will give you the abundance of my, my spirit. I will draw near to the brokenhearted. I will be near you. I will give you everything you need for this battle. And if this battle takes your life, I will be the one at the gate to greet you. That's the plan. Or when he comes to you and you find out your husband's cheated on you and you come to God and you go, what happened to the plan, God? I was supposed to have the perfect marriage and the perfect kids and the perfect home. And now I don't have any of that. And he looks and he goes, stop, stop. This world is broken. You want to know the plan? I mend up the hearts of the brokenhearted. I reconcile broken relationships. I draw near to you in this moment. Here's the plan. I'm your bridegroom that will never cheat on you. That's the plan. It will not change. And so my big so what for you guys is, is are you going to anchor yourself into God? The only thing that won't change. If your comfort, if your joy, if your love, if everything's coming from things around you, they make really bad gods. If your kid is the source of joy in your life, your kid will fail you. If your husband is the only source of love you feel, your husband will fail you. If your money, if your wealth, if your talents, if your treasures are the things in which you put your hope and trust, then they will, they will rust and be destroyed. They will die. They will turn. They will fail you. And God will be there looking at you going, the plan never changed. I'm right here. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I'm not going anywhere. The plan will never change. My promises are always there for you. And so my hope for all of us is as we come across this world, which there is no guarantee that a gunman won't run in this room today. There's no guarantee we won't get in our cars and get run over tonight. Y'all, I drive a Vespa. I have to trust God. Because y'all text and drive. Like, I know you do. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, we trust God. I don't put my hope in my helmet. I don't put my hope in my finances because I don't have any. I don't put my hope in this ability to speak. I don't put my hope in any of my gifts. I don't put my hope in my blonde hair, as great as it is. I put my hope in, in Christ alone because it's the only thing in my life that doesn't change. And I need it to not change because I'm betting my life on it. Let me pray for you all. Lord, we just thank you that so many of your qualities are things that we can run to and knowing that you'll receive us. That God, your word says that when we sin, we're welcomed before you. Your word says that when we doubt, we can bring those to you. Your word says when, when we're scared, you will, you will help us. Your word says you have given us everything we need for a life of godliness, and you have given us the abundant life if we will define the abundant life in terms of your economy and not our own. So Lord, help us to walk in that. Give us the ability to anchor ourselves into your truth and into your promise for which we will always be able to rely on. And may we never take for granted the ability to know you through your word. Allow our conversations in our small group to be a, a worship that is acceptable to you and God just allow us to, to enjoy the, the company of people who would call on you. So your son's perfect and holy name I ask these things. Amen.